and welcome to Positively Pro-Life podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramal Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and here to co-host with me is Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ramo. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Oh, it's always a pleasure to do this with you. Now, every pro-lifer, no matter how deep our convictions, at some point is confronted with the hard cases for abortion, which is often the case of rape, when the conception of the child was not consensual and was a result of a violent horror. What do we see? How do we respond to this? Our answers may often seem inadequate and maybe even foolish until we are able to acknowledge the depth of the victim's trauma while being conscious of the face of the child within. And every once in a while, we hear a story, we see a face, a person whose life reminds us that they are worth fighting for. Our interview today is with one such man whose knowledge of the circumstances of his conception changed the course of his life. But first, keeping us updated on all things legislative is Maria Gallagher. Thank you so much, Ramel. You know, you never know where the pro-life movement will take you next. This week, it took me to Michigan, where ardent advocates for life face difficult challenges. And yet, as they prepare for a Michigan March for Life, I found these hardy Midwesterners to be resolute in their determination to protect innocent lives. I see glimmers of hope in the faces of these steadfast activists, in their vision for the future, in the peace of heart with which they approach their mission. No matter where the political winds may blow, I am not counting these pro-lifers out. They have the patience and the tenacity to win the day in the end. And so while I came to Michigan to share some pro-life wisdom, I ended up being the one who was taught. Remmel. Wow, that was so inspiring to hear that. Uh, I know we have our our work cut out for us, and so does Michigan, but uh, it's always inspiring to hear the number of people and the work that they're doing and how we are holding steadfast to our missions, each in our corners of the world. So thanks for sharing that, Maria. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, I hope you had a lot of fun there. It was so wonderful. The people were lovely and uh, they are just on fire for life. It was very encouraging. Oh, it's good to know we have friends wherever we go. Yes, definitely. Well, coming to our guest. Our guest today is Dustin Bertrand, a man from southern Louisiana, who as a late teen found out the difficult circumstances surrounding his conception. In an excerpt, I'm just going to share a little excerpt of his story where he says, I was born and raised in southern Louisiana by an amazing mom. When I was 19, I was faced with the reality of having to undergo open heart surgery. Before I went into surgery, I wanted to know, where was the dad that never was around? The next conversation with my mom changed the the direction of my life forever. 
My dad was never around because at the age of 25, my mother was date raped. But through all the difficulty, she still gave life to me. Dustin has gone on to share his story with the world and from the age of 23 has spoken at over 500 retreats and events of how he is an example that every human life is precious and deserves protection. He has also written a book called The First 30, A Journey of Grace, and is also the founder of God Made Self Driven. Dustin is here with us today for a little conversation about his life and his work. So welcome to the program, Dustin. We are so glad to have you. I think you're muted, um, Dustin. What about now? Yes, you're good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you all so much for having me. And uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing this time with you all. Oh, I'm really I'm looking forward to hearing you because um, when I first read this, it, it broke my heart, both for your mother um, yeah. and uh, and also for that moment that you found out. So uh, before we go into that, can we just uh, go back a little bit? What was your life like before you found out the circumstances of your conception? I think it was fairly normal, I would say. Uh, I was raised by my mom, by herself and my grandmother for the first six years of my life. And then we met my stepfather, who blessed me with a younger brother who was six years younger than me. And he's doing some amazing things in med school in Birmingham, Alabama. So for me, my childhood was just like any other Southern young man. Uh, a lot of crawfish, a lot of dancing, family get togethers, and just living in a small town in South Louisiana. But I will say this, as I got older, um, the identity as who I am as a man and my relationship with God and whatnot started kind to get uh, confusing. I want to know more about where I came from. I had realized at a certain age that this dad that I'm calling dad is not really my biological dad. And so I, I wrestled with that for many years, uh, probably all the way up to the age of well, obviously 19 and even a few years after that. So, so very normal. Did, but then as yeah. I, but then so how did your life change? <laughs> how did your life change after you found out about the circumstances of your conception? So it gave me a little bit more understanding of who I am, where I came from. But at the same time, that was kind of a hard truth to realize where I came from. But it gave me an answer to a question that I never had. Uh, me and my stepfather, unfortunately, kind of butted heads our whole relationship. So that desire for like a father figure that I got along with, that I knew and could understand, uh, always remained. And so as I got older and found out, okay, listen, your biological father's not around because this happened. Well, okay, awesome. I got an answer. But now there's also something else now I got to address. Uh, I don't want to be like him. <laughs> Even though I struggle with my stepfather's relationship, I definitely don't want to be like my biological father. And so that began my, um, for me, my quest with the person, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ and figuring out how not to be like the person who created me, in a sense, you know. Yes, and, um, and you share that your mother um, shared that truth, that story with you when you were 19. and. Um, 
And what a gift that must have been, um, as hard as it was, what a gift to know the truth, because uh, uh, I, I firmly believe that as hard as the truth is, when when you know the truth, it will set you free. Um, I'm sure it set you free from some of those childhood uh, questions that you had, uh, desires that you had uh, for connection, for uh, acceptance, for, uh, I mean, just like you said, whatever that you struggled with. Um, but uh, do you want to speak a little bit into that? Yeah, so completely. The truth did set me free. Like it gave me freedom and understanding of a background of who I am, but also the things I went through. So I grew up in South Louisiana, a private school, uh, predominantly, uh, as you say, white American, European American. And actually the first girl I tried to date, um, once her father found out that we were dating, he kind of cut that off. And he had a problem with me. I was too tall, dark, and handsome. So emphasis on the dark. <laughs> and so I was, the, for the first time in my life, I realized people didn't see me how they saw my family. Um, I'm the only one that has such a great tan in my family. And so for me, that was the first time that people or people show me that they looked at me that way. And then for the first time in my life, I had to look at myself that way in the sense that, hey, I'm different than my loved ones. And people who look like my loved ones don't look at me the same way. And so that was a tough reality to kind of wrestle with. But when I got the answer of my biological father, I could say, okay, I'm biracial, biracial. It's fine. Um, let's work with that and let's move forward and put some of these pieces together as my identity as a man and a man of God. And let's just kind of move forward from that. And so even though it was a hard truth, it healed some of the wounds I was going through and kind of gave me like a, a platform to kind of move forward and, and get to where I need to be right now, I guess you can say. Yes. And uh, thanks for sharing that. Um um, I, I see how your mother is as much a hero in this story, and this is as much her story as yours. Yeah. Um, so I just have a question of um, when you had that conversation with your mother, uh, and if and if you're free to talk about it, uh, what moved your mother to choose life for you? Um, so there's a couple of things, but I'll just speak on one thing, right? Um, she grew up in a Catholic school her whole life. Um, around the time where she had me wasn't the best season of her life, she would say. But she knew whenever she thought about abortion, and she really almost did. But I think subconsciously, her formation in Catholic school and whatnot, and her woman's intuition, she was like, this is wrong. This is my baby, you know. And for her, I think with some of her Catholic formation, her motherly heart, mother, motherly intuition. And she's like, I, I got to have this baby. And she still went through stuff because she didn't tell her mom, my grandma, the real reason how she got pregnant. She just said, hey, I'm pregnant. I'm taking care of my, my son. And that's just what it's going to be. My grandmother um, didn't find out um, what really happened to my mom until four years ago, 
or five years ago when I wrote the book. And uh, it's kind of funny, but not funny. She read the book. She dissected it, processed it, and then got Alzheimer's. <laughs> oh I mean, gosh. it's kind of sad, but it, it's, I don't know, maybe God was protecting her a little bit from that pain, of what happened to her daughter. But um, grandma found out for the first time, 2019, in 2019. So my mom is definitely here with me. So what have you learned about other women who choose life after suffering the trauma of rape? So I say the ones I have met, I'm not going to say all of them. I'm just going to preface that for the audience out there. Many of them are proud of themselves. Um, They become stronger in their lives. Uh, I have not met anyone that has regretted the decision. I have met some that have kept their baby. Some have given their baby up for adoption. And so for me, I would say that, you know, the individuals that have been in this situation and that have said yes to still giving life to their baby, uh, they have found healing in some way, right? It didn't wipe away the rape, right? But it gave them a sense of closure on the event and uh and some peace because I know my mom for instance she was like you know what you became the best thing in my life you know obviously I love your younger brother but she's like in that stage of my life watching you grow before your brother came into our lives it, it gave me a sense of joy and, and an achievement and it's just been beautiful to watch you grow and I don't know if my life would have been the same without you in it so oh, that's beautiful um what would you say to people who advocate for legalized abortion in the case of rape um i mean obviously we i, I think that is one place we both agree on that this is a very hard traumatic event that has happened to a woman um but i know that uh for us uh for pro-lifers sometimes as hard as it is, uh, we are still we have the conviction that this is a human life. But on the other hand, we have people from the other side who have a lot of different reasons why they say we must legalize abortions um, in the case of rape, uh, at least as an exception. Um, so, what would you say to that? Well, I have said and spoke to uh, some individuals like that, and the first thing I'm always tell them, I understand. Where are you coming from? Like, un, like I really do. I'm a, I'm a godparent. My best friend has a daughter. Um, I, I understand the emotional aspect, the egregious nature of it. But for me, like you, like you just said, why not? No, I'm sorry. Why add another victim to the situation? Right. Um, I, I look as abortion and add another victim to the situation. And so I would say, listen, we're going to walk with you. We're not going to abandon you. Uh, In my state of Louisiana, don't feel like we're going to just force you to have this child and leave you. Uh, In Louisiana, there's a, we passed a a bill or policy where the rights of the rapist can be taken away from, from him. 
Um, we've also, this is kind of hairy, so I'm just going to preface this. Uh, if you are raped, right, taken advantage of, if it's within a certain amount of hours, uh, you can go to the hospital, run some tests, and possibly take a pill, and that's an act of self-defense towards the perpetrator. And so I would just try to t- t- tell the individuals, listen, we still want to accompany you. We still want to walk with you. We still want to be there with you. We don't, we understand the severity of what you went through and, and you had no control over it. It wasn't your desire. Don't think just because we were pro-life, we're neglecting all those realities in your life. It's not the case. How can we effectively reach the younger generation with the pro-life message? I think that's a challenge for us right now. What would you say we should do? Be loud, be bold, be attractive, and be authentic. (laughs) Be loud, be bold, be excited, and be authentic. I think the younger generation, uh, everything is so loud. Everything is so consistent in their life and everything seems so attractive, you know, specifically the bad stuff. <laughs> so I think the counterpart has to be the same way. We have to be loud. We have to be bold. We have to be courageous. We have to be excited about what we're saying, what we believe in. And then we need to just be authentic. We need to be real. And what I've noticed is that's, that's what reaches people younger than you from different backgrounds than you, from different races than you. If you're excited about something, if you're passionate about it, you're bold, you make it attractive, and you're just real, it's hard for them to ignore you. And I think we have to stay consistent with our message, reach them on their phones, reach them in their sports. And if you got to reach them at the bars and (laughs) reach them on the dance floor, you know, let them know that pro-lifers, are not just driven by policy. We're also driven by our heart and, and, and we are people. And, and when they see that, you, you'll be just, you'll be surprised. Wow, I love it. Um, be, be loud, be bold, be attractive, be excited and be authentic. I mean, I, I think I'm going to have a poster in my room with all those words because <laughs> I definitely need a reminder of that. Um, yeah. Now you wrote, you shared uh, your story in, in a book that you wrote uh, called uh, The First 30, A Journey of Grace. What prompted you to write that book? You know, just, you know, for me, again, I don't want to promote, but I'm, in my prayer time and in my, in my ministry travels, um, honestly, the first two years of me speaking or being an evangelist, I didn't share my testimony. Uh, I got it in prayer one day. Uh, God asked me to go talk to my mom and ask if I can share our store, not just hers, not just mine, but our store. And she said, yes, she gave me permission. And as that was going on, I just realized I'm a very simple person, Southern man. Let me just put in some layman terms over, over 30 years. And uh, I would say that when I go to certain events, there would be people that would say, hey, you need to write, put it in a book. Or we need to do like a, a play about your life. Or there needs to be like a movie one day. And I'm just like, I don't, don't know about all that, but, but I can write a book. 
And so I did. <laughs> I wrote the last chapter on my 30th birthday in, in a coffee shop in Lafayette, Louisiana. And the rest is history. Do you have a favorite part of the book or, or a part that, that really resonates with you? Oof, that's a great question. <laughs> I think it's going to change as uh, my life goes and, and different seasons come and go. But if you ask me right now, um, the chapter about my grandmother, yeah, that one right now would be, uh, I probably couldn't get through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right now would mean a lot. Um, I'm a caregiver to her right now. And the role she's played in my spiritual life and what she demanded me as a man and a young man, uh, that for sure would be, that would be the favorite one right now. <laughs> I have to say it's, it's very touching to see a young man caring for his grandmother. So I salute you for that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Oh, that thank you. That. I appreciate it. And yeah. do you That's see so more many. books in your future? Yes, <laughs> I do. So hopefully we can we can write the second 30. And then for more of my ministry vein, I would like to do a, a book about uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, if you want to know more, something more like exciting and more positive that kind of touches me in my book. Yeah. Uh, in 2018. I don't know what's going on, but all kinds of supernatural uh, experiences, encounters, uh, doors opening, meeting people. Uh, that was very different for me. It's the first time I kind of understood like supernatural things happening. Um, I would always call them weird or wild. I'm like, no, it's just God. And so, um, Yes, more books. Something about the Holy Spirit, second 30. And this is probably more me and not God, but if I ever get married or whenever I get married, but however you want to say that, <laughs> I would love to do a book on relationships and season of singleness. So, I in your conversations, I'm sorry, um, but I had a question. Like in your conversations with the young people, when you share your story, your pro life story, um, what is the the general response that you get from them? So I share it. I'm sure y'all have heard presentations like this, right? And so I share it as if my life changed when this young woman shared her testimony with me. Then as I go to the point where she has her baby, I say the good thing about God or good thing about, you know, all of us having a purpose that baby standing before you today. And so I've gotten a lot of responses because I think a lot of kids lose sight that they have a purpose. Like they have a deep eternal value that cannot be taken from them, no matter their, their, their immediate situation or family situation that, that God has planted enough stuff within them and given them enough grace to find joy, fulfillment, and love. And so I see their eyes like, whoa, 
and you've made it here like you're in front of us <laughs> and so it's been really encouraging and that's kind of been my theme with the youth that I talk about God had a plan for this unplanned man how much more does he have for you and so it really resonates with the kids and they're they're, they're seeking a purpose and value and success really I think and what message do you have for um, young men in particular? Um, because there, there's a lot in the news right now about the fact that uh, a lot of women would have chosen life for their children had the young men in their lives stepped up to the plate. So I'm wondering what message do you have for young men? Yeah, so kind of hard, hard on the men in my retreats. Um, I, my stepfather was a Marine, so for good or bad, he was really hard on me. And so I kind of passed that on forward to them in a, but out of love, right? right? Everything has to come out of love or everything's in vain. And so I, I really, I just posted something yesterday on my Facebook and it talked about men leading in marriages, right? Uh, but instead of lead, lead love first, so like, and so I just, I really call them out of themselves. And that's, that's the battle, right? Because social media, it's all about the selfie, right? Uh, relationships, it's all about the, 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 the man leading, but more or less dominating women, being proud, being pro, uh, proud of, of the numbers he gains and whatnot. And I never forget, I told a young man this. And you just saw all the girls light up. And even the guys were like, hey, I said, instead of trying to love a million girls, love one girl a million different ways. And like, you can tell, like, that's embedded in all of us. Like, God placed that in men and in women. The women were like, what? Like, they were like smiling. <laughs> like, yeah, I want to be loved in a million different ways. And then the men were like, Oh, dang. Like, that's the real challenge. That's the real pursuit, right? That's the real prize. And so I really just, again, I'm loud and I'm authentic and I'm real, you know, and that's what I kind of do with the young men that I deal with. Thank so. you so much, Dustin Bertrand, a man from Southern Louisiana who is a, uh, proud spokesperson for the cause of life. Thank you for being on the podcast today. No, thank y'all so much. And fun fact, I am going to Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, I think, uh, in January to a Catholic high school. So there's something going on over there that God wants me a part of. So thank y'all so much. You are so welcome. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. Thank you for joining us on the program today. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.